0: Hello, and welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Aliza Pressman, and today it's just you and me. I'm answering listener questions. I'm going to go over things like learning from mistakes, dealing with failures and losing, when to start a sleepover playdate, getting rid of the pacifier, and grandparents with different parenting styles. I really love your questions, so keep them coming, and they're really helpful for everybody. The first question is, I have a five year old who easily gets frustrated. If she's busy with an activity and she doesn't get it right, or if we're playing what could be seen as a competitive game like running or putt putt, she throws a fit if she isn't winning or getting it right for the first time. We've never encouraged perfection or winning, and I'm always telling her that making mistakes or not getting it right is part of learning and growing. It's come to the point where we don't really want to take her out if it involves games, especially with her friends. How can we resolve this? That is very frustrating, both for your five-year-old and I'm sure for you guys. So it sounds like there's um, an opportunity here to focus on growth mindset. The idea that you have the ability to change and grow, that your mind is not fixed With what it was given from the beginning, and that when you practice things, you get stronger, better, smarter. And so that's easier for some kids than others. It tends to be difficult for kids who are perfectionists. And if you can imagine how difficult it is, for those of you who have perfectionist tendencies, you understand this, I'm sure. But imagine what it's like to think that you're supposed to get something right the first time and how hard on yourself you would be and how that might make you angry because you're having you know, a, a basic reaction, uh, stress reaction to feeling like you failed. Sometimes it takes years of planting seeds and exercising those muscles, but you definitely can make a big difference. So one thing to point out to them is thinking about how different things that they used to not be able to do, they now can do. So you can remind them of different challenges that they took on in the past to get them to understand that in fact, they are going to get better at something if they put in the effort. And you, if you can't think of anything, remind them what it was like when they were babies and they first were crawling, and then they moved to walking and toddling and flopping around. And then they kind of could run but would fall in their face and then eventually became the agile little five-year-olds that they are. And I'm sure you can think of other things. Also important is to have these conversations not in the heat of the moment, but at another time. So I just want to make sure that that's clear. Other things you can do are change the messaging in the house for all people in the households because you can't really... Encourage this at school or with friends because you can't control what other people do, but you can control yourself. So, if you catch yourself anytime you sound like your goal is to win or your goal is to get it right, or you did something awesome that day and it was because you won or got something right or it was perfect, that's when you want to check in with yourself and find a different thing to say. And these things can come across in the tiniest ways. And of course, I have no idea in this particular case, but for anybody else listening, you know, you could be setting a table and it has to look just so, and you correct what your child does when you've asked them to do it. And right away, the message isn't about their process. It's about the fact that it wasn't like up to your standards, So if you want to help a kid not be a perfectionist, you have to make sure that you're comfortable with the lack of perfection. And that can be tricky. And by the way, that doesn't mean that they can't work their way up to setting a beautiful table. It just means that that's not what your focus is. Your focus is on figuring out what the process is. Some other things to do to work on having a growth mindset, get rid of erasers, anytime a kid uses an eraser before the age of six, so really up through kindergarten, get rid of erasers because it erases mistakes. That leaves a very clear message and you don't have to say it, but the idea of an eraser says, we don't even wanna revisit those mistakes. We don't wanna acknowledge them. We want them to go away. When really, if you want it to be a beautiful oops, which is what I borrowed from a book called Beautiful Oops. And I think it's an incredible idea. If you want to see a mistake as a beautiful oops, then you have to keep the mistake right there in front of you so you can learn from it. And you might even be able to make something better because of it. So get rid of those erasers. Even when your kids are spelling something wrong, they ask you how to spell something, ask them how to sound it out. Of course, if they're Even five-year-olds, you know, they're just learning how to write. They should not be focused on spelling, but they sometimes ask. Um, And if your child isn't, don't worry about it. They're still very young, but oftentimes they'll say, how do you spell something? Or they want to get it right. You want them to invent their spelling, to be creative about it, to think about the sound. And that's because when you sound out the words you're really going to take risks if you're not worried about the spelling. You'll use bigger words. So you can develop a really rich language just from not having this attitude that you can't make mistakes. So it really is important for all sorts of growth. And you can model handling mistakes in a positive way. It's hard, again, in the moment, but it's great to help kids understand that Mistakes are an opportunity for learning and practice, and that you really don't get to get really, really good at something without making the mistakes that help you figure out the key to getting better. So, that's again something that you can model in your own acceptance of mistakes and continuing to practice and use different strategies if one isn't working. And also, when you're praising your kids, praise process, not Outcomes so that it's not about anything at the end, it's about the process. That way, getting it right isn't something that you're going to even comment on, it's not even one of your goals. So, it really can lurk in different ways. But in this particular case, this five year old is exhibiting very overt perfectionist traits, and that's great news for you because you can help her really work on. Letting go of what is incredibly stressful to feel. It's, an, it's no good to feel like you have to be perfect. The last thing I want to say about this is that when you lose and you can't handle it, it also makes you forget about what the other person is experiencing. Well, if I don't want to lose and this is so awful, why am I not concerned about how awful someone else would feel when I win? So the best thing to do, again, never (laughs) in the moment, is, you know, before the moment when you are planning to play the game, say, what's our strategy for when you win or lose? What's the plan? Because we can't freak out. We can't make someone else feel bad if we win because then that's a bummer. And at the same time, if somebody is happy because they won, we don't want to take away that happiness because we're feeling angry that we lost. So what's a way to get through this at the end of the game where we're really thinking about the other person and also honoring our feelings? You might even ask them for an idea of something that they can do no matter what, win or lose. For example, a handshake to the opponent saying, good game. That's all. So those are my short suggestions and uh, keep on working on that. Everybody can work on a growth mindset for life because we're all a work in progress. And I will put in the show notes, actually, the book that I love so much, Beautiful Oops. For the next question. Hi, Dr. Eliza. After listening to your episode on sleep, my four-year-old sometimes falls asleep in the car on the way home from school. I bring him home inside when we get home and sometimes he'll wake up when we have a normal evening, but other times he stays asleep. So I'll just put him in his bed. The issue is I'm worried about him going to bed without any dinner, plus bath, teeth, brushing, bathroom, normal activities. I tell myself that it's his body's way of saying he needs more sleep and I'm trying to help him. Should I trust that he's okay? He's not going to starve and just let him sleep. He doesn't do it often, maybe once a month. Is this normal? He normally is in bed at 8 p.m. and sleeps until 7 a.m. with no daytime nap. Any advice? Well, I'm glad he's getting good sleep. And I would say that twice a month rarely is bad habit for, you know, it just doesn't form bad habits. It's just a couple times a month to not have dinner and to not brush your teeth. Forgive me to all dentists, but I think that's totally fine. One thing I would say is if your child is falling asleep on the way home, it sounds like he might have a sleep deficit. I would encourage you on all the days that it's possible to put him to bed earlier than you think he needs to go to sleep. Kids usually have a set wake up time, but their bedtime can vary. And if you can put your child to bed earlier he'll still wake up at the same time, but he'll get rid of that sleep deficit. And so you might not get into these situations. And I know that can be really tricky with timing of daycare and all of that. So you do the best you can. And it's important for everybody to know that an earlier bedtime is often a solution for lots of bizarre sleep things. And also one way to figure out the perfect bedtime is to pay attention for about a week to how quickly your child falls asleep. And if they're falling asleep within 20 to 30 minutes of hitting the pillow, then you found a great bedtime. But if they're staying up quite a bit after that, you either have too early of a bedtime or too late of a bedtime. So if a kid is staying up super late and they just can't fall asleep, sometimes that's actually because they're overtired. Um, So that's really how you can tell. But I have a sneaking suspicion in this case That if you just set an earlier bedtime, he will really thrive and no matter what, you can always feel comfortable with a couple times a month things not going the right way and it's usually totally fine. How do I know that my child is ready for a play date? My child was invited to a sleepover and I keep saying no, but now he really is interested in going. This is really up to the individual child and the parent. Um, As long as you feel comfortable with your child having a sleepover, and sometimes it really is that we don't feel comfortable, but they're super excited. And sometimes they actually think they're excited, but they're not at all ready and they get there and they burst into tears. So you want to know that they have kind of a sense of self-awareness, that they know how to get along in situations where they might have conflict with their friends, you know, little conflicts because they're not going to have any, you know, they're they're going to spend the whole night together and things can get difficult. Um, so you want to make sure that they have good language to advocate for themselves and to, you know, tell the grownups in the house that they have to go to the bathroom or that they need some water or, you know, whatever it is, because sometimes kids can feel like, okay, I'm not home. So, I don't know what to do, or I can't really ask that. So as long as they feel comfortable advocating for themselves, that they have a some self-awareness of what their needs are and how they're being perceived by the the other child so that conflicts can get resolved well and that it's a compatible friend that they sort of don't egg each other on, but they actually can really just enjoy each other and have a nice time. And they've had successful past play dates and they, you know seem ready, I would always encourage starting with a sleep under where they get to go over for the play date, they get to get in their pajamas and stay up way later than they're supposed to and have way worse food than they're supposed to have and all the fun stuff that goes on with play dates, but that you'll just come and kind of get them at the 11th hour. And if that goes well, then you, you can go ahead and try a sleepover for some kids they can do a kindergarten sleepover play date. And for other kids, it takes until they're nine years old. You really have to encourage your kids to listen to the messages that they're giving themselves and also to not make too big of a deal of it so that they don't think like that it's this huge event and that it's super scary or that they're on the other side of it supposed to be super excited. It's just a sleepover. Um, And it can be much nicer for you, the parent, if you feel confident in the parents whose house your child is a guest at. The other thing you can do is try some sleepovers at your house with kids who are more acclimated to sleepovers and see how your child fares. Usually, if it's a second child, they will be able to come over for a sleepover before a first child will be able to go over to someone else's house. Okay. Next question. Do you have any advice or guidance on how to get grandparents on our same page? My parents watch my son frequently, and they definitely have a different blueprint when it comes to parenting and caregiving. I'm just trying to model some of the different mindful strategies and language that we want to be using, but they don't seem interested or willing to adapt to new techniques. I just cringe and definitely get triggered when I hear them say things like, don't be sad, or you want to do X like a big boy, right? Or saying good job about every little thing our son does. I would just love some better consistency. Any thoughts? I so feel you. That can be really hard, um, especially if you don't have the kind of relationship with your parents or the, with the grandparents that enables you to really talk about why these things are important to you. What I will say is that having a relationship with grandparents, as long as they're loving and as long as it's relatively positive and safe, is really going to outweigh any of the negatives of their parenting style or grandparenting style. And so the best thing that you can do is let go of all of your hopes and dreams for how they're going to parent your child when they're grandparenting. Since you can't control them, it'll only drive you crazy and it'll only put stress on the experience that you have with your child afterwards or when you hear about it um, or with their grandparents. And then just know that you're going to have a much more important influence on your child's life. I totally understand that relationships with grandparents can be fraught, but I just want to encourage you to think about all of the many wonderful benefits of learning how to be with caregivers who have a different perspective and a different style Knowing that yours is really stable and really present and having a huge influence, but that it'll be wonderful for your child to know what it's like to communicate in a different way and they're going to be just fine. Okay, last question. My almost two and a half year old is addicted to her binky. Right now, I'm trying to enforce that this is only bedtime for her to use to soothe herself, but she's consistently asking for it and throwing a tantrum when she doesn't get it. When do I need to worry about her still using a binky? And is there a good strategy for phasing it out? Or is this something she will gradually give up on her own? Thanks for your help. Ah, the binky. The pacifier and when to get rid of it is such a big question. First, let me reassure you that pacifiers for all of the bad rap they get are actually really, really, really wonderful sources of soothing for children babies and um, have many benefits. So a thumb and a pacifier sucker both have lower cortisol levels than their non-sucking counterparts. That means that their stress hormone is lower because they have this sucking mechanism to help them self-soothe. So actually sucking in the first year of life is really important and wonderful. And as long as you're not using it as um, kind of a plug for your child not to speak. Um, It's really a wonderful self-soother and it's totally fine. After the first year of life, the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends that you get rid of it. For a number of reasons, that's a good idea. One, because it's good to follow the AAP. We have to follow those guidelines to be as safe as possible and they're always updating them and it's important. But also if your child is not having the pacifier outside of the crib and it's just for bedtime and they have good speech and no issues with ear infections, then I really only, the dentist is going to be super bummed out that you've kept the pacifier for this long. I would say by three, again, this is a psychologist saying this. So if it's helping soothe and do bedtime, but not infantilizing and not, um, kind of influencing other parts of the day. I mean, it's really one of those things, like who cares? But again, that is not what your pediatrician is gonna say. And that's not what the dentist is gonna say because of the shape of the palate. It's not great. So I would say it's a good time to think about preparing to get rid of it. And there are a few ways you can do that. I find that at one years old, you can just dump it and make sure to do extra cuddles, but you don't really need to get into a deep process. At two and a half to three years old, you really need to have a conversation about it. And you might even enlist your dentist and say, can you show a picture of the jaw and kind of why we need to not use pacifiers anymore? Sometimes that's oddly easier when they're just a little bit like in another few months. And then you can gently remove all pacifiers, explain that this is going to be a difficult time, but that you're there for them and that you have loveys, and maybe a shirt of yours that smells yummy like mom or dad to cuddle with, but that the pacifier is going to be sent away to, to now there's where you have to decide where you wanted to go to the fairies does it go to other babies does it go to recycling totally up to you um do you want to have the pacifier fairy leave some little notes every time they wake up without having used a pacifier sure a little trinket here and there i don't think it's the worst thing (laughs) Um, but for some kids it's a real struggle and other kids you just get rid of it now some people recommend poking a hole in the pacifier or cutting the top of it off until your child just loses interest. While that does often work, it can be a choking hazard. So that's not something that I recommend. Anyway, I know that it's rogue, but as long as it's limited to the crib, it's not something to be super stressed about because there's going to be a time, and I wouldn't say a natural time. I think that, unfortunately, I think if you ask anybody who was a thumb sucker, they they didn't stop for a very, very long time because their thumb is attached. But there are very natural opportunities to end it. So when you switch to a big kid bed, you certainly don't want to transition multiple things at once because it can be difficult. So you want to give six weeks between transitions. But once you're in a big kid bed, it's kind of, you know, not so conducive to pacifiers and you can just get rid of them and, and explain again, that you get to a certain point where you just can't, it's, it's not healthy for your mouth and the dentist can help you out with that. But I know this is a very controversial answer. Um, I can just hear some of my colleagues getting annoyed because I'm picking their stress levels over and sleep, frankly, over some other things. But good luck. I know it's very painful and you just need to cuddle a little bit more once you do do it. Um, and recognize that it can be difficult for a few days and they'll get through it. Um, I remember when my daughter had to give up her pacifier, she was saying, clearly I didn't dump it at age one um, because I'm admitting this. But she said, what will I do with my mouth? I remember she was really confused about what she could do with her mouth. And so she came up with different things and, and um, that was it. It was sad but it's going to be one of the challenges they get through to help them grow into kids who know they can take on challenges. (laughs) Thank you for listening. Please continue to send in questions to my Instagram DM at Raising Good Humans podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, don't hesitate to subscribe, rate, and review. Have a wonderful week.